What causes division among people? What disrupts harmony in a church? I think there are many things, but we can maybe sum it up like this. Pride and prejudice. Pride and prejudice can often be the root to many problems within a community, indeed within a nation, indeed within the world. There's much disharmony in our world at the minute. There's much political strife. There's strife between nations. There's strife between families. And and, and so often, if you were to try and examine the root problems, you can find pride and you can find prejudice. We're turning again to Romans chapter 4, and um, Paul in this section is lingering long on the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the good news of the gospel. You'll remember we spent a lot of time between chapters 1 verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 20 where Paul laid out the reality that we all stand condemned before Almighty God. Well, from chapter 3 verse 21, Paul has been unpacking this dazzling doctrine of justification. That is that legal declaration where God pronounces upon us that we are righteous because he credits to our account the perfect righteousness of Christ. And if you've been here for our study, you'll you'll know that at the end of chapter 3, Paul started to tease out the pastoral implications for people who believe in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He had three things that he said. There should be no room for boasting. If you believe that you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone because of grace alone to the glory of God alone, you've got nothing to boast about in yourself. All the boasting is towards Christ, so we never boast in oneself. He says there's no room for discrimination because God saves both Jew and and Gentile by faith, Romans 3, verse 29. And then finally, you see in that final verse, Romans 3:31. Paul had said, one of the implications of believing in the doctrine of justification by faith alone is there's no room for antinomianism. That is, there's no license to go and sin. Even though Christ has done it all, we can't, he's given us a right standing before God. He's fulfilled the law. He's taken the curse of the law. We are therefore in gratitude to respond by upholding and obeying the law. Now, what we said last week was when we came to chapter 4, it's like a Jew stands up and says, Paul, no boasting? Hold on a minute. What about Abraham? And Abraham, surely, he was someone who obeyed the law. The beginning of his life, he left out of the Chaldeans. The end of his life, he was willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And remember what... Paul said in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, he said, no, Abraham has got no right to boast before God because he was not justified by works. He was justified by faith. And the doctrine of justification is that God justifies the ungodly and Abraham was ungodly but made righteous by Christ's work. And, and, and Paul was on a roll, and so he, he not only used Abraham as an example that were justified by faith alone, he then went on to use David as an example. And he says, David, in Psalm 32, 
declared that glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and his sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Well, as we pick up things this evening in verses 9 to 12, it's like that same Jew has another objection. How can you say, Paul, there is no discrimination? When if you stand back and think about it, Abraham was a Jew. David was a Jew. They were both circumcised. So how can you say there is no discrimination when God's blessing of salvation was clearly given to the Jews. And so, Paul in this section is going to respond to that. This pastoral implication that that he said, the doctrine of justification by faith alone means there is no room for discrimination. So let's read verses 9 and 10. Is this blessing, that is the blessing of Christ's righteousness been imputed to sinners then only for the circumcised? And circumcised here, in in one sense, is a shorthand for a Jew. Is this blessing then only for the Jews, or is it also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Now, in in the Jewish mindset, there was a strong connection that being Jewish, was the reason why you received God's blessing, the blessing of his salvation. You're circumcised. And Paul's instant response, and and just just note this, right? In verse 9, he says, for we say. Now, see when he says, for we say there, he's saying, I and all of the other biblical writers of the Old Testament, we say, he's putting his arms around all of them, and he's saying, we say, all together, faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Now, do you see what he's done there? He's taken Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which is quoted back in verse 3, and he's transliterated it. He's shortened it. And notice what he puts first. Faith. Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Faith was credit to him as righteousness. He's saying, he's underscoring the point, it was not on the basis of him being circumcised or not circumcised that he came to right standing with God. It was on the basis of faith alone. Now Paul says, here's the question, was it before or after he was circumcised that he was made right with God? Now, this is a key thing. Now, we might, we might be sitting here, and it's, a, it's, a, it's like an Old Testament Jewish sort of um, debate to enter into, but it's a key question. When was Abraham circumcised? Was it before or after he was circumcised? So Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that's when Abraham was made right with God. Genesis chapter 16 Abraham slept with Hagar, so he faltered in his faith. He didn't 
hold fast. Uh, he, he, he listened to Sarah and, and he slept with Hagar, thought he could produce his own spring his own way. The, the result of that was Ishmael. And then it's in Genesis chapter 17 that God tells Abraham to circumcise himself. He was 99 years old. And Ishmael at that point was 13 years old. So we know that it was at least 13 years after. Genesis 15 verse 6. That Abraham was circumcised. So let's look at what Paul says. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before. Now here's the significance of that. How could anyone then think that being circumcised or being a Jew is significant to receiving the blessing that is salvation? Just let this penny drop. When Abraham came to faith, he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't have the mark, if you like, of God's chosen people. He'd been a pagan from Ur of the Chaldeans. His family had worshipped other gods. God had saved him and rescued him. And so when he was circumcised, it was while he was uncircumcised that he came to faith, meaning that circumcision adds nothing to one standing before God. Nothing. And the reason that's significant in application is this. We need to know that there is nothing that contributes to our standing before God other than our faith alone in Christ alone because of grace alone. Your baptism, nothing. Your church attendance, nothing. You reading the Bible every day, you praying every day, nothing. In terms of your standing before God, in terms of you being declared righteous before God. What makes a person righteous before God is faith alone in Christ alone because of grace alone. Paul was justified before he was circumcised. But that doesn't mean that Paul's dismissive of circumcision. Look at what he says next. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So Paul goes on to tell us that circumcision was a sign and a seal. And for us as covenant Christians, this is significant. Circumcision was a sign and a seal. Now, most of you know I'm married. One of the ways, if you don't know that I'm married, is here's my wedding ring. If I said to you tonight, right, I'm married. Look at my ring. Such a big deal. It's the most important thing in, in my life. I'm married. Here it is. Here's, here, here's my ring. You'd say, Andy, you're missing the point. I've not mentioned my wife's name. I'm, my wife's M- Marina. She's the point. This is just a sign that points to the fact that Marina is my wife. She's the rich, this is the sign that points to her as the reality, as the big deal of my life to the one whom I made covenant promises. 
Abraham was given this sign, and it was a pointer to the reality that God had circumcised his heart, that God said that in covenant relationship there has to be the shedding of blood so that one can be brought into right relationship with him. His circumcision was a sign that was pointing to Jesus Christ, but it was given to him after he'd come to faith. But he says it's not just a sign, it's a seal. Now, you know in the olden days, maybe you still do it, you write a letter to your loved one, you get the, you get the wax out, you burn it, you drip it on the, and then you've got your little seal and you stamp it. And your loved one gets the letter and she sees your seal in the letter and she knows it's from you. Do you think she sits there and makes a big deal of the seal? Oh, look at the seal. <laughs> no, 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 of course she doesn't. Yes, she knows it's from you, but the big deal is the letter inside. What you've said to her, what it's all about. Do you know what the seal of circumcision was all about? Look at what Paul says. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still circumcised. In other words, his circumcision was a seal to the reality that it was by faith alone he was saved, that he'd received the righteousness of Christ. This is God's gracious way of working. God wanted Abraham to know that it was sealed to him, that he was saved by faith alone. His 13-year-old son was to get the covenant sign and seal. And every eight-day-year-old, eight-day child of a Jew was to receive the sign and seal of circumcision. Didn't mean they were saved, but it pointed to the reality that they needed a savior and the promise of God to give a savior and all who would have faith in the savior would receive the righteousness. You know that, the reason why that's so significant? It's because of our understanding of baptism. Baptism is a sign and seal. And so, and so here we're told, right, Abraham was saved by faith alone before he was circumcised. And in that sense, he was a, a Gentile before he became a Jew. Now, I'd have loved to have been in the Roman congregation the day this was read out. Because in that congregation, it was filled with Jewish Christians and it was filled with Gentile Christians. And Paul goes on to say, in light of this fact, the purpose was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, this is the penny that would drop in the congregation. The Gentiles sitting there would be like, wait a minute, Paul, are you saying that the Sabbath song that every Jewish kid has sung, and I've heard it all my life, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. I can sing. 
yet. Everyone who has faith alone in Christ alone to save is a son of Abraham. And you can imagine the Jews saying, well, hold on a minute, I'm a son of Abraham. We're the sons of Abraham, we're the Jews. And all the Gentiles were like, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Paul's just made it clear. Before he was even a Jew, before he even had the sign of circumcision, the seal of circumcision, he was justified by faith. And he's the father of all who would believe. Meaning, Abraham is our father. Meaning, we're all one. The dividing wall of hostility was always going to be brought down by Christ's glorious death, but it was prophesied and predicted in the reality that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. In God's amazing purposes in redemption, he was making it clear from the very beginning that salvation was for all people who would come to believe, that there should be no discrimination between Jew and Gentile. And you know how significant this, this was? Every Gentile knew that all of the promises God had made to Abraham, they were heirs of. The, the promises of salvation, they were theirs. That God's great promise was salvation, righteousness in Christ. It was theirs. And so this is a glorious reality that God would count every Jew and Gentile who has faith in Jesus Christ as one. Now I know that's a lot. And and trust me, this sermon was meant to be a sermon on verse 9 through to the end. And I opted just to do this little section because it's really dense. But now I just want to apply it. Like let's go back to what I said at the beginning. What causes disharmony? What causes division in a church? I'll tell you. Pride. Pride and prejudice. You know, you know the problem with the many Jewish Christians? They were so proud of being Jews. In the Old Testament, the story of Jonah, it's a story of pride and prejudice. He's so proud that when God asks him to go as his prophet, as a missionary the Ninevites, he, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want them to receive grace. He thinks that all of the promises of God, they're for the Jews and the Jews alone, and he knows if God forgives them, he, he doesn't want them to have it. One of the great problems of the, the Jewish people is, they, is that when they became Christians, they wanted to hoard the blessings of salvation to themselves. In fact, they developed a problem. We call them the Judaizers. They wanted all the Gentiles to become Jews in order to be in the church. If you want to become a Christian, you need to become a Jew first, and then we can talk about the Christian part. And Paul roared against them in the strongest possible terms in his letter to the Galatians. And so, so, so here, here's, here's what causes division, pride and prejudice, and here's what the gospel say, here's what the doctrine of justification by faith alone says. There ought to be no division. Because all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, both circumcised and uncircumcised, both Jew and Gentile, they're all sons of Father Abraham. That means that in this church tonight, because we've been united in Christ and our shared salvation, because we're sons of Abraham in the sense that we 
have faith as Abraham had faith in Christ alone to receive righteousness. Your connection as Christians is greater than our connection with our own family. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've made, been made right with God. We've been given the most amazing status before God, declared righteous. And so what ought to transcend our differences is the reality of who we are as those who trust in Christ alone for salvation. Now here's a tragedy. Even in a church that believes that, you can still find it full of pride and prejudice. You know, sometimes you walk into a room, you walk into church, and you see people, and your brain, because you've got a sinful heart, filters people. You don't even realize you're doing it. You see people who are like you, might be from your same country, might be your same age and stage, and you think, I want to talk to them. And you think to yourself, I'm not going to talk to them... And sometimes it's, you think it's not even a conscious decision, but there is something in your mind that said, that person right now is not worthy of my time or attention. And you don't know that your problem in your heart is a, it's a pride issue. Before you walk in those doors, one of the things you need to walk in and realize is that everybody in here, one is an image bearer of God and worthy of your time and attention. Two... Everyone in here is a potential of being a brother and sister in Christ, blood-bought, spirit and dwell, sons and daughters of Abraham, worthy of your time and attention. And so our church should be one where there's not disharmony, but there's beautiful unity because we love one another and we respect one another and we realize some of us are going to spend the rest of eternity with one another. Our relationship is deeper than that with our own flesh and blood. Now, I remember coming to London for a conference and there was an American church leader, Tim Keller. And I'd never heard a church leader confess this sin. It was in Inspire St. James just up the hill. And he stood up and he said, one of the things, one of my problems, and I have to admit it, he says is, it's a white American. He said, see, sometimes if I see a black African, especially in the context of church, there's a part of my brain that thinks they must be into the prosperity gospel. They must not be as orthodox as I am. He said, see, when I see a Korean or a Chinese person, I think, because in a New York, I think there's a lot of Chinese people, he says, I, I think they're going to be really intellectually smart. They're going to be really respectful. He said, I'm drawn to them. And it's the first time I ever heard someone just admit a reality that in my heart I knew myself. That there's sometimes we can make snap judgments of people based on the, on the color of their skin. And, and, and in that, it, it reminds me that all all of us have a pride problem, we can admit that. All of us have a prejudice problem, we can admit that, because the reality that we admitted in the first three chapters of Romans is we're sinners. And so as we recognize that we have a problem, we go to the gospel, we go to the cross, we go to the reality of what salvation is meant to do to us, and it's meant to transform us. 
You know, in a world that's just filled with so much division, politically, the binaries of right and left, class divisions, gender divisions, everybody's wondering how do we get harmony? Do you know the place that's supposed to showcase the harmony? It's the church. It doesn't matter your class. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your background. Because if you've got faith alone and Christ alone, we're all the sons and daughters of Abraham. And actually, we all stand on level ground because we're all image bearers and we're sinners on level ground below the cross. And so, so this doctrine of justification by faith alone, it's got pastoral implications for how we view one another and how we live with one another. You know, I, I, when I was a minister in Cumbernauld, the church was located in a, a scheme, a, a, a council estate, arguably the poorest council estate in the town of Cumbernauld. There was a street down the road that was called Millcroft, nicknamed Murdercroft, um, lots of Eastern, Eastern Europeans. But the problem with the church was, over years, people had moved out from that area when it had originally been planted as a free church in that scheme, and had moved to the nice leafy suburbs. So we used to all drive in and come in from different parts. And the people who lived in the scheme didn't recognize us as locals. We're outsiders. And, and, and the thing that made that apparent was if you looked at the car park sometimes, you could tell by the, the makes of cars, the way that we dressed. We weren't from the scheme. And something as subtle as the way we dressed, the way we spoke, the interests we had, put this like barrier up between the people we were seeking to reach out to. And sometimes we've got to become aware as God's people, we must never put a barrier that would hinder people coming from other backgrounds to Christ. So we should never, never ever, right, place a premium on someone's class, on how someone dresses, on someone's education. We should always place a premium on every individual for who they are. And we learn that straight from the scriptures, from the doctrine of justification by faith alone, and from the doctrine of everyone being an image bearer of God. So here's a glorious reality. Here's how Paul wants us to land with the Jews and the Gentiles. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And we should showcase the manifold wisdom of God in how we live and in how we love and in how we treat outsiders and those who are different from us. Let's come before God and let's pray.